Block Party is a tech culture podcast. We do tech for the people. We cover topics ranging from cryptocurrencies, blockchain, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and more. Our guests include entrepreneurs, creatives, and influencers. Block Party takes a unique view of tech through the lens of the people living it. Block Party is tech culture. Hello everyone, it's me, Chris Wong, and welcome to this episode of Block Party. Today I'm joined by Octomint, an NFT artist, writer, and creator behind the book of Octomint, available now on OpenSea. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me, Chris. And thank you for being here. Like I mentioned previously before we entered this episode, I've been trying to expand Block Party to be able to talk to all types of people, not just entrepreneurs, but the creators who actually make this space possible. So once again, thank you for taking time out of your day. Absolutely. Happy to be here. And uh, before we begin, I wanted to uh, get people familiar with who you are and how you got started. So can you please give us a little more background on who you are and how you got started here in Web3? Yeah, um, my uh, go by is Octomint. Um, So I am a one of one artist and uh, I got started about a year ago in April 2021. It's almost exactly a year. And before that, um, I was an academic. Uh, I have a PhD in English literature, um, and I write a lot of fiction, uh, and I also was drawing a lot on the side, um, but never professionally, you know, just for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I started getting into NFTs because uh, my partner at the time was into crypto, and he really liked it, and he was telling me about, you know, uh, there's an opportunity to, like, make creative work and possibly sell it and i was making a lot of themed work already so obviously my name is octomint so i mostly draw octopuses and sea creatures um and i have always been doing that i don't know why people ask me why i i just like it um i really like octopuses i think they're brilliant and beautiful and all these things so um i looked at what nfts were i realized that that's kind of like bodies of work with sort of a strong voice for doing well so i put up a few um nfts on ethereum first Mm -hmm. and they didn't do great but then i moved to tez and i started selling and um after that i started my comic project and that's been going super well so here i am awesome and i think that's really cool actually and also by the way big fan of octopuses myself one of the coolest creatures of all time they really are and i think i think to bring up something that you actually mentioned in your uh in your introduction that you're a one of one artist and for people who may not really know what that distinction is uh for here in nft land there are a lot of these large collections that have five thousand six thousand seven thousand ten thousand for example of many different units that create randomization and i while i have my own opinion on it um i think it's also really important to note that like this space also allows for one of one creation a lot of smaller more independent projects that don't rely on massively moving a lot of these units and what made you go with these with this one of one approach compared to let's say working on some kind of project that would you know mint out a thousand two thousand for example 
Well, so I have actually like been on some teams for some of those projects. I started that later though. Um, mm -hmm. And they're great in their own way. Uh, but I like to make the art that I make. And in order to make those large projects, you have to do a lot of coding. Um, mm -hmm. You're not really creating one coherent piece. You're creating like parts of a piece so that when they uh, get generated together, they create random images. Um, and I've seen some artists do some really cool stuff with that. There's a project called Girls Riding Things. It's like uh, incredible. And um, with the way that they piece together the different features of the PFP project. But um, uh, the reason I like One of Ones is that I tell stories with my art. Um, and One of Ones is also a bit of a misnomer. We just call it that because there's nothing else to call it. A lot of one of one artists do really small editions, which is what I do in my comic. Um, but uh, but basically, it allows me to tell. It's more like traditional art, and every piece can sort of stand by itself, and uh, it tells a story of some kind. Even my pieces that are not comics. Um, my comics came out of the fact that I was creating all these characters that had backgrounds, and so I decided to put it together into one story. Awesome, and I think that's really, really powerful too. Because, and I would love, to, I want to touch more on uh, your distribution model because your distribution model is actually pretty ingenious, if you don't mind me saying. But even before we get there, um, I know there are a couple of things that people might not uh, familiarize themselves with uh, NFTs and the NFT space and the crypto space at large. But the public is more familiar now than they've ever been with the idea of of crypto and blockchain technology and NFTs have really paved that way for people the general public becoming more familiar things like obviously board ape uh headlining that whole uh possibility of digital art and digital art resale but there are also some critics of how nfts are ruining the process of creation and kind of creating a commoditization of the space uh do you agree or disagree with this kind of opinion and do you feel overall that nfts are changing what the future of the art space looks like I think that's a brilliant question. So I should give a little background, which is that when I was studying literature, my focus was Shakespeare and um, some later writers. And basically what I was interested in was exactly how they had monetized their work um, and why, you know, the development of early capitalism coincided with the birth of, you know, um, a lot of these great artistic movements. And uh, I'm not like, you know, uh, capitalist apologist or anything like that mm -hmm. um but i think that the the history's there and it's really interesting and it's pretty undeniable that a lot of the most successful writers were also like thinking about market trends and how to uh reach new audiences and do things like that um the other component of it is that i was always really interested in the fact that it was usually the richest people who were complaining about artists <laughs> um, making money off their work. <laughs> and also that we have this idea that art is not, doesn't have any innate, like it has more than innate value, right? Like you can't put a price on it. And so therefore that leads to people charging millions and millions of dollars for their artwork, um, which I always thought was fascinating that, the, that because there's no inherent value, you can just charge as much as you want. So um, basically my understanding of it, and you know, the traditional art market is very classist and um, very, like, you know, high barriers for people to get into. There's a lot of, like, I've known a lot of art historians, other people in that field who have a lot of opinions about, you know, global art, for instance, that are mm -hmm. very, like, 
backwards and things like that. So it is not a place that's particularly open anyway. So when I look at the full picture of how art and literature are actually sold in the world, how they've been sold in the past, um, to me, NFTs are great because they allow individual artists to take control of the means of reproduction of their work, which is really the most important thing. Artists have always produced their own ideas and their own creative product. What they've not had control over is the means of reproduction. So the ability to like get their work out to a wider audience through like a printing press or a gallery or whatever it is. So um, basically what NFTs allow is that you can now control like how your work gets out to other people, how many copies of it there are, um, who you sell it to, all of that stuff. And I think that's way better uh, for artists I think that it's maybe not as good for traditional galleries and who knows, but, um, but yeah, as far as giving power to artists to make money off of their own work, I think it's great. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I completely agree with you on that point because uh, I, as a whole, from a technological standpoint, Web3 has been primarily about the idea of decentralization. And like you said, the traditional art scene has always been kind of... Um, very centralized, very classist, and very high barriers of entry for uh, independent artists to be able to make their space there. So, and I, it's funny that I'm thinking about this right now. I'm thinking back to that, uh, that one story about the Banksy piece that self shredded itself in yes. like kind of like a like a statement of counterculture to the traditional art space. And I think about what Banksy did, and yeah. I go, like, if somebody like that who's already so renowned in the space is having opinions about the space that he already he or she or whoever Banksy may be is is pioneering this kind of statement in that space what kind of statement does this really mean for like independent artists moving forward into the future with new technologies exactly um and you know i think it's very interesting like the sort of backlash you've seen against the monetization of of art i you know i also think that um how do i put this so I think one thing that makes people bristle about it, right, is mm -hmm. that, you know, when you make a physical piece of art or something, then you have an original. And the idea is that that original has value because it came from you. Um, but in reality, again, the way that most, most of the time value works is through buyer's provenance. So it's, it's through the fact that um, somebody wanted to collect your work and then that person's name is then associated with your work. And if they're famous or something, it gives your work more power. Um, it's also the ability to like prove, you know, that this is an original piece or whatever. So we're very sentimental about the original, but in practical terms, it's actually the buyer's history and all of that that determines a lot of the value. So with NFTs, what you have is basically like, because you have such a sort of impeachable uh, history of you know, um, buyer's provenance, it adds, it confers a lot of value to the, to the piece more in a lot of cases than any quote unquote original that exists. And I think that's kind of what bothers people because it upsets their notion of, you know, their romantic idea of what a, an original is, but I'm kind of all for it because it's, it's just how things really work and it makes it more explicit, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, Transitioning over to your own project, to your own original work, uh, the Book of Octomint, um, can you provide our listeners with a little insight on the project and 
how you basically got started working on this particular project? I totally can. So the book of Octomint is a story about like my main character, Octopus, who is a giant Pacific octopus. His name is Red. Um, and Red escaped from an aquarium to go back to the ocean. And he has a bunch of different adventures with his friends. Um, that being said, it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's not that it's not kid friendly, but it has a lot of adult themes and it. it talks a lot about climate change. It talks a lot about there's war and politics and all kinds of things going on in the story. Um, so, but it started as a way for me to tell the backstory of these characters I was already making. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really wanted to make a comic because not a lot of people were doing it in the space, but also because my pieces are so narrative already. And it can be kind of hard when you, um, when you have a very narrative piece, sometimes people will appreciate the aesthetic, but they won't look very deeply into what it says. Yeah. So I had a lot of people like, oh, I love your work. It's so cute. And I'm, and it is cute. My work is very cute, but it's also very dark. So I was like, man, I got to have a way to like get this across to people that I do cute, dark, you know. And so it seemed like telling a story was the best way to do that. It, it's funny that, that you bring up like this contrast because when I was looking at uh, the pieces that you were doing and when I became more familiar with your work, uh, a lot of what you were doing actually kind of reminded me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bone comics, but... Uh, oh, like yeah. Back, back, you know how like it's like this kind of cute aesthetic, but there's like really a dark undertone that goes with a lot of the, uh, the, the stuff. And I became familiar with those comics when I was a young kid and I didn't really see that uh, under surface later until I got much older in life and the themes that you were bringing up like you said climate change like all these stuff still being told in this narrative and also in a new medium of technology is something that really fascinated me and the reason why i wanted to have you on here well thank you and that's a huge compliment because i love bone and i know exactly what you mean they're they're, oh. they're they're awesome and there's there's also something like i mentioned before about how this web3 space allows for new distribution models as we talked about previously new uh, methods of control of like how an artist is able to distribute um the way that you actually approach this in in your model is completely fascinating to me and if i understand correctly and please correct me where i'm i'm wrong because uh, i don't want to misrepresent this but uh collectors can collect individual pages and by binding them together into completed chapters of the book they receive airdrops in the forms of covers and additional rewards is that correct you got it. And actually, I don't really, um, in, I do incentivize people to collect the whole book. And that did happen with book one. Um, but uh, a couple people collected the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, my idea was to incentivize a bunch of different people to collect, you know, whatever parts of it they liked, because I wanted to have diversity. And I think the important thing to understand about how I did it um, is that the the material itself is free to read like it's not like a text where you know from a traditional publisher where you have to buy the thing in order to read it mm -hmm. um that's anybody can read it i encourage people to read it widely i read it on my tiktok like i it's just there you can it's not all there i'm still putting up the videos but you can hear me read it out loud and look at the panels and stuff so that part is not monetized because that i don't want it to be what's monetized is the ownership of the pieces that i created so um, basically, the idea is that if you collect three pages, you start to get airdrops. You don't have to collect the whole thing. There's special airdrops for people who do collect the whole thing. But to, to start unlocking rewards, it's just three pieces. 
And yeah, I want to have people collect the ones they want and, you know, as many of them as they feel like collecting. Yeah. And and I do I do uh appreciate this model because it goes back to what you said earlier about buyer's providence, about attaching your name to to the things that you like, the things that you appreciate. And obviously over time, uh if and in, in any uh the in any kind of um uh trying to find the right word for any uh person who would reproduce this kind of model uh, it really does give uh a that narrative through line that's occurring um there are different pieces that a person could like and they're also involved in kind of this ecosystem and i think this combination of uh let's say if there was somebody who was incredibly famous wanted to collect uh these particular uh uh these particular editions or these particular nfts that come from the collection and then those particular ones then bring up the overall uh value of the entire collection it it creates new avenues and new um economic models that i don't think were previously ever thought of in this space and were you thinking about this in that kind of way or was this uh were you trying to take this in a completely different direction no i was thinking about that because i wanted in part to detach the economics from like the actual content Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, again, I like studied this in, in graduate school and I thought a lot about how these other writers, you know, had, had monetized their work and used that to like get out of poverty and do all kinds of things. Um, and so I wanted to conscientiously like meld the m- marketing and sale of it with the actual content, but not in a way where the content itself was monetized. So, um, it's you know it's kind of on one sense like the even um even the story itself is i mean the story itself first of all my my goal was to make it really good so that people would connect with it and have feelings about it and stuff Mm -hmm. so that's certainly part of it but the story itself is almost like a kind of marketing for the thing because anybody can read it i encourage people to read it widely i talk about what the story is all the time um but if you want to then go ahead and own you know, a piece of its history, then you pick up one of the pictures. Absolutely. And I think, I think once again, the, the model is so interesting and the way that you're, you're really approaching this is, is completely unique in a way that I, I personally haven't seen it being done. Um, do you, and, and, and obviously while this is a, a very unique model that I may not see, uh, I can see a lot of people coming down the line and looking and at the way that you're approaching content in web three um whether it be with writing with video with with art like you're creating with narrative based stories um do you kind of see this kind of model becoming more prevalent with content creation in the future when it comes to web3 I hope so um i think right now people have a very traditional approach to it in a lot of ways it's like well i want to make it as close to the sale of an original art piece as i can um they make it a one of one they mint it on a platform like Foundation, which is sort of caters more to one of one artists than it does to PFPs and stuff. Um, and then they very often offer, like, you know, if it was made in the physical realm, they'll offer that original piece, or they'll make a print for the collector. And um, I think that uh, the a lot of the people who are unlocking more of the market potential are people who have these larger projects and are trying to think more creatively about how to sell them. And I just don't think artists have fully caught up yet to um, the different possibilities for 
for marketing their work. I do know some people who have. There's I love. There's an abstract artist named Quampa who I like absolutely love, um, and he has a very cool abstract collection that he did in a really smart way. So that if you collect the different pieces of it and and you can there's like burning options so if you burn some of them and keep others you can unlock different rewards Mm -hmm. that's super cool but for the most part like i said it's this very traditional model and i just hope more people will try to figure out a slightly more creative approach in the future absolutely yeah and and i'm thinking about artists right now that are outside of this space and not even just artists creators in general you know writers um i could see this being used for books i could see this used for for like uh videographers and i know a couple of friends who don't really understand what it's like being an artist in this space and despite nfts and oh, art having oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you my apologies no you cut out for just a second oh but I I hear you. Uh, my apologies yeah. my apologies um no, no. so so uh I, going back to what i was saying um you know despite there being like a lot of popularity for art and content creation in the web3 space uh, many writers, artists, and content creators are not exploring the potentiality of blockchain technology and the different marketplaces, Tezos, uh, Foundation, OpenSea. Uh, in your opinion, can you provide any advice for creators who are looking to start here in Web3 and, and any lessons or any mistakes or any good ideas that you've had in the, the year that you've spent here in this space that you could impart to our listeners? Yeah, definitely. Um, if so, I'll just pretend like this is someone who knows absolutely nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. the vast majority of NFT marketing right now takes place on Twitter. I don't know the like origin of that, but that's just the case. Um, there is, uh, and, and Instagram is also used, but it's not really used to sell NFTs. It's used to sort of market your art and redirect people, um, usually toward Twitter actually. But, uh, So the first step is actually to get on NFT Twitter and like figure out what people are saying and doing, look at the hashtags Um, and to get on sites like OpenSea and Foundation, like you don't have to start your wallet yet, but to just look at their sales page, what's trending, um, you know, on any given day and kind of get a sense of what people are selling. And from there, um, I actually recommend that if you're a totally obscure artist, who has no NFT connections, that you should start on a chain like Tezos instead of Ethereum. Uh, Tezos is um, really, it's much cheaper. It's like, I don't know what it is right now, but like $3.50 for a Tez or something. And so um, the it's usually people are selling higher edition stuff at a lower price, um, but it has way more people who just collect art as a hobby on it. So um, I do a lot of, like, I don't even cash out my Tezos anymore, actually. I just put things on there when I want to um, sell something and then buy other art mm-hmm. um, because it's really like an art trading market, basically. So uh, it's got a ton of artists on it. They're all looking to, like, get new pieces. And if you price it properly, um, where you can still, you know, get compensated for your work. And so I think that's a good way to get started. It's not as much profit, but it'll make you, like, feel encouraged and you'll meet a lot of other artists that way and you'll also like you should collect on tez as well if you're on it because collecting teaches you a lot about i don't really know how to explain it but it just once you start collecting you start understanding how to market your stuff much better so um so yeah i would start there and then maybe move to a more um expensive coin like ethereum after you've established yourself 
Absolutely, and I, I, I do agree with that sentiment because I've heard the, uh, unfortunately, I, I feel, and this is my own opinion, and not many people share this opinion, but many people will go so far to claim is Ethereum now is kind of like a rich person's uh, blockchain for something that's supposed to be decentralized for a mass adoption and the high gas fees, the high prices, and kind of the commoditization of art on places like OpenSea have kind of created this really unique and kind of, I don't want to say toxic, but not very positive uh, environment for new uh, newcomers to be able to enter the space. So I think using Tezos as a platform has been, is, is a lot more uh, artist-friendly, like you've mentioned. It really is. And Ethereum can be very discouraging for early artists, and especially because if you look at like the way successful people price their art, it's um, very out of step with what you should do as an as a beginner. So it can be hard to look. You kind of have to look at what's not selling on Ethereum almost <laughs> in a way to like figure out what you should do rather than what people are. I mean, you've got to know what people are doing well and you got to see what the trend is. But yeah, at the very beginning, um, you have to build. You you have to build a customer base basically like you know it's the same as any other business, um, and so one other way to think about it and this is something um, that uh, NFT update says a lot so this is not my thing, um, but if you don't have any friends who can buy or afford your art, um, it's probably too expensive because it's gonna start with your community that buys from you and then expand from there. Absolutely fair point i i truly do agree with you because uh i was thinking something very similar for block party itself like as an entity for being able to do something like an art piece but then i i remember i was looking at the competition i'm like oh the competition's doing something very high but it's not you're, you're not competing with the competition you're you exist in the same ecosystem and the people who really want to swim with you are going to be the people who can actually swim with you that come from your local community like you said and so after thinking about that and it just hearing you reaffirms this kind of idea that I came to myself and the fact that uh, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be a decentralized ecosystem. If we're not encouraging people to join this space because of things like economics, then ultimately speaking, we're kind of defeating the purpose of Web3 as a medium for this kind of uh, for this kind of creation. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And um, totally. And and. I think honestly, we we've had a you've provided a lot of gems, document Like you've you've got a lot of obviously great insight on this, and and I really would love to talk to you more about this stuff. But I obviously don't want to keep you here, like for more than the amount of time because I know you have a a meeting coming up. But um, before we end this episode, um, what are your next moves for you when it comes to the book of Octomint? When it comes to what you're what you're looking at in terms of projects, and how can our listeners? at home follow you across your various social media platforms if they want to reach out to you or follow you? Yeah, so thank you for asking that. Um, so you start at Twitter, which is, uh, my handle's Octomint2000. Um, that's where I put most of my information about like what's upcoming and releases and stuff like that. Um, but I'm also working on my TikTok because I really want people to have like access to my face and personality and stuff. Um, and I also read my comic there. And like I said, the idea is for people like to get the story out as much as possible. And I know that a lot of people, like, even if they have an OpenSea account, they find it kind of annoying to log on and, you know, 
like look at the pieces that way. So TikTok just makes it easier. I just put the panels up individually and I read over it and they're usually, you know, my uh, pages are short, so it's usually like less than two minutes. Um, and actually I am gonna change my pricing model, but um, the, the first two books that are already out are like done and you can still get the same rewards as uh as you described right so um and there's i've got the like basically what it is is if you collect certain pieces and cert uh that have certain characters in them and stuff you can get customized book covers and then you'll get a copy of the full book and stuff so you can still do all that but i decided for my third book that i wanted to lower the barrier even more mm -hmm. um it, they're not very expensive right now they're 0.03 but i decided i want to make it like so that everybody gets all of the comics um, and doesn't have to like pick and choose anymore. So I'm moving to more of like basically a subscription model where once you buy the first one, um, you'll, you'll get the rest of them after that weekly. Um, and so I think that'll be more fun for people because it's like getting a present for 12 weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I I'm hoping that gets people like, invested in you know the outcome and what's going to happen and stuff like that um and it'll it'll be a little bit different because there will be more additions of the work obviously um which does affect the value but i think ultimately uh it at the price point it'll be at which is 0.05 it lets a lot of my friends who want to support me um but you know the market's been a little slow lately and stuff like that they don't always have the ETH to collect as much as they used to. So this is some, like they can get in on it and get all the pieces and, um, you know, stay in the loop basically. Cause one, like the, the way that it works really now is, is really great for me um, and airdrops are really cool and people like all of that. Um, but I think people will be more directly invested if they're getting, you know, a new work every week basically. Awesome. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we're going to put all the links in the description. We're going to obviously make sure that everybody can follow your TikTok, your 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 uh, foundation page and direct them towards Twitter, because I think what you're doing in this space. Obviously, fantastic. And I, I really would love for people to become more familiar. And once again, I, I, and I didn't even let you know this, but this is actually the 50th episode of Block Party. So thank you once again for being oh. here for the 50th episode. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I appreciate it. This was great. I really enjoyed this. So I appreciate you asking. Thank you. And uh, everybody, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.